Hi, and welcome to Creating Cadence, a podcast for life and work in motion. I'm your host, Mish Bondizio, a writer, coach, consultant, and the founder of Growth Sessions. The aim of my work is to help people develop better work-life cadence and more mindful approaches to work to support their creativity, productivity, and well-being, and manage their time, attention, and stress better. You can find out more about me and what I do at growthsessions.co. So welcome to episode 20, the fourth and final episode of season three of the Creating Cadence podcast. For this season, I've been experimenting with something a little different. To recap, I invited six creative thinkers from my network, who work in a variety of different sectors and situations, to share their thoughts and experiences based on a set of specific questions relating to hybrid working, digital wellness, and productivity. A quick reminder of who my panel are. Katerina King is the co-founder of Society One, a co-working space. Rashmir Balasubramaniam is an independent coach, leadership consultant, and advisor to women. Ed Matthews-Gentle is the senior project lead for a business support program called Creative Lancashire. James Taplin is the innovation lead in the urban systems team at Innovate UK. Amy Young is a senior account manager at a strategic marketing agency called ICG. And Garth Dew is a videographer and livestream specialist and the owner of a video production company called GD Video. Like you and me, my guests have experienced and been forced to adapt to the requirements of this dramatic time of change we've undergone over the past 18 months or so. In the previous episode, my interviewees shared their thoughts on what they struggle with most when it comes to online working. They also offered some excellent personal tips for ways to protect our attention, maintain focus and support our well-being, creativity and productivity. So check out episode 19 if you haven't listened already. In this episode, we'll be looking at where my guests think we may need more support going forward. And a few of them will also share a few extra observations about where we're at, based on their specific context or experience. I'll be bringing these thoughts together to wrap up the final episode of this season. Please note, these conversations and responses have been recorded in real-world situations, so you may hear the sounds of traffic or roadworks, people chatting in the background, creaky chairs, rustling headphones, or random internet connectivity issues. If you're ready, let's dive in. So let's start by looking at the initial focus of this episode. In a world which is increasingly online, I was keen to know where my panel think people may need more support when it comes to helping us manage our work-life cadence better in this future of work we're heading into. Katerina King sets the tone for this answer with a quick response about the conundrum that has plagued all of us over the past year. I think the lack of separation between people's work life and home life has been tough for a lot of people working at home. Finding a way to work at home but be able to switch off at the end of the day is definitely a skill that requires mastering and I think a lot of people will need support with this going forward. Incidentally, this issue with switching off was also referenced by Amy Young and Ed Matthews-Gentle in the last episode, reiterating its importance in our future. Next, 
Garth Dew also elaborates on Katerina's point, providing good examples of the digital addiction we've all been increasingly affected by in one way or another over this time. The obvious one is getting away from devices and screens. I think the more you work remotely, the more you work at home, you never switch those devices off. And I've definitely seen that in my home. Like my partner's a lawyer. She's got her laptop on the kitchen table. That never goes away. So it's so easy just to open that up and check email and reply to email even late into the night. You know, when you run your own business, you're doing social media, email, and with your device there, it's always easy just to open that up and you almost become addicted to refreshing that every 10, 15 minutes. I think somehow people have got to find a way to disconnect from their devices, but it's down to them. I think it's very difficult to do that. I tried buying a burner phone during lockdown, like a little Nokia, and I was putting my iPhone away at the weekend and just having a Nokia for emergencies and text messaging. Um, but it was very hard to adopt it because you rely on your phone so much for even things that you wouldn't describe as potentially destructive, like finding directions, getting access to the co-working space where we work, paying for things. So I'm interested in the technology that's coming out that's adopting that Nokia style functionality, but with the ability to also do certain things with the internet. And I know there's a few phones coming out and there's a big movement towards that, that I think is going to get more popular. Since this interview was recorded, Garth has subsequently taken his experiments further. He recently invested in a punked phone, spelt P-U-N-K-T. Garth has been sharing more on LinkedIn about his experience of adapting to and working around the restrictions that this new lo-fi tech creates for him. Next, Rashmir Balasubramaniam goes a step further regarding Katerina and Garth's points about finding ways to set boundaries. Here, Rashmir explains two elements which sit at the core of this issue, namely technology and trust. The first one is technology, because, you know, technology is such a wonderful enabler and it we can also become slaves to it. And so helping people take time that's offline and be productive offline, I think, is incredibly important going forward. Even just encouraging people to, to, to move away from their screens is is going to be something that I think is is vital for health and well-being, but also productivity. And that doesn't come easy when we're caught up in this mode of feeling that we have to be productive all of the time. You know, creative time can be incredibly productive in the longer term, especially, but may not be seen or understood that way in the short term. Reflection, I think, falls into that similar category. I actually often encourage my clients to spend to dedicate time, you know, 30 minutes or an hour where they're doing nothing but reflecting on something. And it's incredible how productive that is, but it, but it's almost as though I have to give them permission to, to do that. And so that would be something I would encourage more managers and leaders to enable in their people. So technology is the first thing. Trust is the second 
And what I mean by that is, I think there's a couple of different elements to trust. There's, you know, do we trust each other when we're working together, especially in organizations? Is there a culture of trust, a culture of empowerment, a culture of encouraging and enabling people to bring the best of who they are to the table? And that takes work. That doesn't just happen automatically. You know, that that requires investment in building that kind of a learning culture in which experimentation and failure is, is understood and encouraged, wisely encouraged, obviously. But there's also another element of trust, and that is self-trust. And it may sound curious. I think I'm going to give you an example of... Um, you know, when I, when I actually went solo, it took me a couple of years of you know, running my own sort of small consulting firm to realize I was actually my own worst boss. And, and the fact that I was, I was no longer employed, I was still employing all of the bad habits and patterns that I had resisted or rejected in the organizations that I'd worked in. And it took me some time to learn I could make choices that felt right. But then second, that it was learning to trust myself, my instincts, you know, my sensing into what was wanting to happen, my, you know, own wisdom and, and knowing around how best to be and how best to be productive that were really important. So it, it sounds like a funny thing, but I, it's something that I think we could see more of in organizations is managers and leaders supporting people in trusting not just each other, but themselves. A great example from Rashmir about how without the right tools and skills, we end up being our own worst bosses. Self-leadership takes practice and support in a community or work setting can also help. And her point about improving levels of support in different contexts is something that cropped up several times in my discussions with my guests. Like Rashmir, Ed Matthews Gentle also narrowed in on self-leadership and technology. Ed observes how technology dominates our lives, yet both we and the creators of that tech don't take enough responsibility for the impacts that it can have on our lives. We commonly don't seem to see it as part of the larger ecosystem in which it sits. I really think that it's um, similar to what I've said before. It's recognizing, I think, where those those stress points are, and understanding where the where the sort of triggers are. Maybe that maybe something's not right. You know, if you're working from home, working in isolation, even though you're maybe having these conversations with others, it's 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 quite hard maybe to recognize yourself where there's actually patterns emerging. You know, behaviors, and you and you become it becomes a culture. You know, around you. There's so much of the conversation now is about tech, really, you know, and I think that tech is it's, it's just, it's, it's a tool and it's a great tool to have and, it's, and, it, and it gives us, you know, the, the ability, you know, to, to find solution, but it's part of a solution. It's not the only thing. You have to think about things in a more holistic way. We, we are humans after all, you know, humans are evolve through interaction, you know, and, 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 and engagement. But we also survive through interaction, you know, and tech is, is you know, is 
some have concerns about it, um, but it's a, it's often around the sort of motivations of those who actually are the sort of the the key holders, you know, of, of that tech as well. And then, and that motivation about how and why you use it, that burden of, of responsibility or that duty of, of responsibility, it, it's down to us to almost set those parameters, you know, in terms of us asking ourselves, why are we doing this? Is there another way to do this maybe? What impact will my decisions have on others around me like who I engage with? You know, and I think we need to be asking ourselves more of those types of questions in the future. Incidentally, Ed's organization Creative Lancashire recently commissioned a series of long-form articles about delivering design at a distance. Researched and compiled by Alexandra O'Toole and Jonathan Ball, they include contributions from leading designers and creative practitioners about the challenges and opportunities associated with hybrid working and delivering design and creative services online. I'll share the link in the transcript, but just a heads up that you need to be signed up to the Cadence newsletter to gain access to the podcast transcripts and show notes. And you can do that at growthsessions.co. Tying in with Ed's point about taking responsibility, Amy Young's response about where people might need help was to suggest that we need to enable more opportunities for people to speak up and speak out. She pointed out that even though we've all experienced similar moments in the pandemic, people are on different paths as we come out of this, and we are all processing things differently. So Amy feels it's important to keep talking, to learn to ask for help, but also to offer help. And that connects with what Rashmir and Ed had to say about support and connection. Amy indicated that these aspects of a supportive, communicative culture go hand in hand with how her company, ICG, actually works as an agency, and that this approach is closely tied to their company values. I agree with these sentiments. Creating opportunities for connection helps to build resilience, something that is incredibly important, especially as burnout is on the rise in our current situation. The research indicates that strong social connections and support, both at work and in our personal lives, are good prevention mechanisms to reduce our stress load, an overload of which is the precursor to burnout. But it works both ways. We have to be prepared to give, as much as we need others to give support to us. And to do that requires taking more responsibility, and being more intentional in how we work, and more mindful about how we live. Because we can't give from an empty cup. Changing tack slightly, but still following the idea of community and connection, Rashmi also shared interesting points about the shift in paradigms we're currently undergoing, and how it's going to be important for us to be able to think differently and connect differently in this new age. There are new skills to be learned, and we need to be open. I think we're shifting. This whole decade, I believe, is going to be quite a fundamental decade of shift. And we've still got a large legacy of the industrial paradigm. And yes, there's the knowledge worker paradigm and the, the, the kind of technological paradigm mired in with the economic paradigms that still drive so much of what we do and how we do it. But what I think we what we are moving towards in some sense or are wanting to move towards is something that's much more creative, um, more emergent, more flowing, more purpose aligned, more impact oriented. And that is a shift 
that people will need help to make because so much of how our world works is still survival-based and security-based. And that is in some sense an antithesis to a creative orientation, a creative mindset, and a world where we actually create what we truly want rather than default into what has been. But investing in building our capacities and our capabilities to to be aware, not just self-awareness, but also awareness of the larger patterns of life around us, that seems to me incredibly important going forward because that will allow us to sense into what is wanting to emerge, to know when and how to act and engage, uh, when and how to hold back. It might even allow us to evolve deeper, richer relationships, whether they're remote or in-person. And I think it could also allow us to experience more, not just individual flow, but collective flow because collective flow is so key to creativity and to creating things that are are fundamentally different. And and I don't see a lot of investment in these kinds of capacities as yet. We're still a little overly focused on individual and organizational productivity. So that that I think is really really key. The The other thing I would say is I think we could all use learning the skills to challenge, to inspire, to envision, to dream together and to enable. And, and I say that because it's, it's again, this idea of defaulting into what we know and how we've always done things. Cause many people are just scared to dream of a fundamentally different world or to imagine it. And until we imagine it, we're not going to be able to create it. This is an important point about us needing to adapt to a fundamentally different world, one we need to be able to imagine first. To be able to connect with that vision, there will be an ongoing requirement for creativity and innovation. Now, although the constraint of the pandemic may have bred some forms of innovation, James Taplin also notes that our restricted breadth of experience during this time with no amplitude, and often resulting in a sense of apathy, has also stifled some forms of innovation too. So innovation kind of happens at the spaces between things. Most innovation happens when you're bringing different ideas together. And and what we've seen, and the problem we've had throughout the course of the last year, is you haven't had that difference in... You haven't had those ideas rubbing up against each other any longer the way you would do. And you haven't had the serendipity of seeing something while you're being out and about that kind of triggers a thought or or or, or looks at how or, or makes you think about how could you solve that in a different way in the beginning actually again uh constraint breeds innovation so we saw lots of businesses instantly pivoting and creating new solutions based on the new circumstances so there was an upwelling of innovation there but but the sort of innovation that i'm looking at which is about how do you create new systems and integrated systems in cities and how do you help people live better fundamentally is based on getting new ideas, smashing new ideas together and taking an idea from the water system and comparing you know, comparing an idea from the energy system to create something novel. So that, that's been a problem. So, so this sort of, this, yeah, not being able to travel and not having that, that kind of, that work out on the road, that has that's stifled innovation, I think. And it's caused, I think it's probably stifled innovation in a lot of other businesses as well. 
as things open up more, we can take steps to help our creativity, critical thinking and innovative capabilities to keep growing and thriving. So that we can learn to tap more easily into the collective flow that Rashmiya spoke about. Connection creates community, and as my guests have already hinted at in previous episodes, centralized hubs and local communities will feature more prominently in our hybrid future of work. But whether we find and offer connection and support locally or globally, we are going to need these different types of connections and diverse communities to help us find the solutions to the enormous challenges we're facing in our world. These are not easy problems to solve, but the good news is that there are ways through. And as surviving and learning to thrive despite a pandemic has shown those of us who are still here, we're stronger and more capable than we think. Solving these problems starts small. It starts with ourselves, by becoming more intentional in how we work, by building stronger self-care foundations, by engaging with the world and our work in a way that supports us better, by setting boundaries, but also by being open. One little step at a time, we can lead by example. And the more we give in this way, the more we end up getting back. A very big thank you to my guests for this season. Rashmiya Balasubramaniam, Katerina King, Amy Young, Ed Matthews Gentle, Garth Dew, and James Taplin. I'm so grateful to you for sharing your thoughts and experiences to remind us all of the challenges but also of the opportunities that lie ahead. If you have thoughts about this episode or you have a question or thought relating to productivity, well-being or hybrid working, then I'd love to hear from you. You can write to hello at growthsessions.co. If you're liking what you're hearing on the Creating Cadence podcast, please make my day by giving it a four or five star review via Apple Podcasts. And if you're not yet subscribed to the accompanying Cadence newsletter, head to growthsessions.co forward slash cadence to sign up. It's free and it comes with a free mindfulness resource too. Season four of the podcast will be back in September 2021. So until next time, please take care out there, be brave, think big, and keep moving forwards, one step at a time. Bye for now.